What is it, do you think, that makes someone a good friend? This is the question that I've been asking lots of people this week as I've thought about this passage. What is it that makes someone a good friend? And I've got a number of answers, like honesty, integrity, someone who understands you, loyalty, someone you can be yourself with. And I was struck by all the answers that I was given that almost all of them could be found in this story of the friendship between David and Jonathan, which has been called the most beautiful description of friendship in the Bible. This is a story I'm very fond of myself. My parents actually named me Jonathan in the hope that I would be a friend to my older brother, Henry, as Jonathan was to David. And actually, my brother, Henry has always been a much better friend to me um, than I have to him. He's always been actually incredibly generous. Last Christmas, he gave me for my birthday a silver Vesper. Um, I gave him a book on Rome. Uh, so. But friendship is, is, a, is a beautiful thing, is it not? It's something we, we all long for. I suppose that's one of the reasons why the American sitcom Friends was so popular. We long for that, uh, those kind of amazing, long-lasting, intimate friendships, a community of friends. I love the description of friendship that C.S. Lewis gives in The Four Loves, where he talks about where each member of the circle feels in his secret heart, humbled before all the rest. Sometimes he wonders what he is doing among his betters. He is lucky beyond desert to be in such company especially when the whole group is together, each bringing out all that is best, wisest, or funniest in all the others. Those are the golden sessions, when four or five of us, after a hard day's walking, have come to our inn, when our slippers are on, our feet spread out towards the blaze, and our drinks at our elbows, when the whole world, and something beyond the world, opens itself to our minds as we talk. Life, natural life, has no better gift to give. But how can we have the sort of good quality friendships that this describes? How can we be good friends to one another? I think the story of David and Jonathan holds several clues as to how we can have these sorts of friendships. And I think the key is found in verse 3 of chapter 18. That David and Jonathan, that Jonathan made a covenant with David. As I'm sure you know, we're part of, we're in um, the third talk of a series on the covenant. And Tim has been talking about how, um, talking about God's covenant with Israel and with us. And I thought this morning we could think a little bit about how covenant might um, influence our views on friendship, the sort of covenants we have with one another. I'll be focusing mainly on friendship, but I'm sure this also applies to marriage, that for obvious reasons I don't feel quite as qualified to talk on that subject. So what does the story of David and Jonathan and their covenant tell us about how we can be good friends to one another? 
First, I think it suggests that we need to love one another, one another selflessly. God's love with us is self-sacrificial. He gives up his only son for our sake. God's love is essentially selfless. He gains nothing by his love for us, but loves us for our sake rather than his own. I had a very good friend at university who was an excellent rugby player. Um, in fact, he went on to play professional rugby. And we would often tell him that we were friends with him only because we thought he might play for England one day. And that if he didn't, we were going to ditch him immediately. But I hope he knew that we were joking. Because friendship, and a friendship that's influenced by covenant, is very different. It's not a contract by which each party hopes to gain something from the other in the friendship. We need to love each other for their sake, not our own. And Jonathan's love for David is extraordinary in its selflessness. Let's just think of the context here. Jonathan is the eldest son of the king, Saul. He's heir to the throne. He's a military hero himself. Back in chapter 14, he and his armor bearer attacked the Philistines and killed 20 on their own. And now David, this cocky young shepherd boy, has turned up and killed only one Philistine. And he was so big you could hardly miss him. And suddenly becomes an overnight celebrity. And David um, is soon, as we look in uh, verse 7 of chapter 18, um, they're singing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now Saul is jealous because... They're saying they're attributing thousands to him and tens of thousands to David. But Jonathan doesn't even get a mention. They should be singing about Saul and Jonathan, the king and the heir to the throne. But they're singing about David. If I was Jonathan, I'd want to put this young upstart in his place. But Jonathan loves David selflessly. First of all, he gives up his most valuable possessions to him. He gives up his robe, his sword, his weapons. And this would be an extraordinary generous gift from a prince to a shepherd boy. But more than that, he gives up his own position because in doing these things, he was signifying something greater. He was signifying that he was giving up his position as heir to the throne for David to become king after him after Saul. And more than that, he actually gives up his security. As time and again, he risks his life by pleading on David's part, risking the anger of his father. And it's easy to love, isn't it, when we don't have to give something up and when we get something from the friendship. But I think truly loving people always entails some sort of cost, whether it's financial, just in terms of being generous, buying someone a present for their birthday. It could be our position. We might risk unpopularity by suggesting that we're friends with someone who's perhaps unpopular. We give up our time, our energy on one another. There are times, no doubt, when it's inconvenient 
when it's risky to love our friends. There are times when you'll be competing with your friends, at work maybe for promotion. In love, it's not uncommon for two friends to fall for the same person. And these are the times where we have to love selflessly, trying to seek the good of the other rather than of ourselves. And we won't always feel like it. He doesn't describe Jonathan's emotions the whole time, but maybe there were things he had to overcome in his friendship. And certainly we have to overcome. There'll be times where we'll feel jealous or resentful. And it takes effort to act in the opposite spirit, to recommend another person for the job that actually we secretly want. Praising another person when we actually want the praise ourselves. Being generous with our time and money and possessions. But it's worth it. So David and Jonathan, their friendship shows us that we need to love selflessly for the sake of the other and not for ourselves. Secondly, I think their friendship shows us that we need to love one another practically. Covenants are practical things. Marriage, I'm told, is a practical, it has an element of practicality. You look after and help one another. And God's love for us is very practical. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him might have eternal life. In other words, God so loved the world that he came up with a practical solution to the world's problems. God doesn't love us in theory. He loves us in practice. In fact, in the Greek world, the the Greeks loved making distinctions between things. And one of the distinctions they made was between theoria and praxis. Theory and practice. But in the Hebrew world, they had no distinction between those things. You couldn't believe one thing but not act on it. They were one and the same. You can't love someone in theory. You can only love them in theory and practice together. And Jonathan loves David practically. We've read in chapter 19 of him pleading to his father on his behalf. In chapter 20, just on a bit, verse 4, he says, Jonathan says to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And then he does what David asks him to do. Jonathan does what David, what Jonathan does what he'd promised to do. And I think this is a real mark of friendship. It's something that marks God off. God is a God who keeps his promises. And I think it's a true mark of friendship to do what you said, to do what you said you do. And so many times in my life, I can think of the times where I haven't done this. But I think it's so important. I also think it's important to be efficient and organized with our friends. Someone once told me that inefficiency was actually unloving. And having thought about it more and more, it does actually make sense. If you forget birthdays or are always late, or forget to return calls or don't reply to messages, it actually suggests that you don't value the other person. Now these things come more naturally to some than others, but I do think it is something that we all need to work at with our friendships. 
because it's in loving our friends practically that we show them that we really love them. And I've been so grateful for the times where friends have loved me really practically. In my third year at university, I was suffering from this um, sort of chronic fatigue syndrome thing. And I, I was quite ill. I, I couldn't really do anything. I found it hard to look after myself, to cook for myself. Um, I didn't really have the energy to socialize. And there was a couple in Oxford at the time, um, Bill and Nikki, who uh, every Monday, I'd go around to their house and they'd cook me supper and we'd watch spooks together. And it was exactly what I wanted. Every Monday, they'd cook for me and we'd just watch television together. And they were so sweet. And actually, there came a time where I was actually too ill to stay at university. And I rang up Bill to say, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go home. And he came over immediately, picked me up in his car and drove me back home uh, with the excuse that he needed to get a book in London. Um, I think there are bookshops in Oxford as well. <laughs> but anyway. To love one another practically. But I think when loving each other practically, we also need to know how to love each other practically. And this takes honesty on both parts. We need to tell one another how we can love each other practically. In chapter 19, Jonathan instinctively knows what to do for David. But in chapter 20, Jonathan has no idea what danger David is in. And David has to go to Jonathan and say, look, I need your help. My life's in danger again. And he needs to persuade Jonathan, and, uh, he needs to persuade Jonathan of his needs. And I think often we're, we can be sometimes ashamed to ask for help, to say, look, I'm actually feeling discouraged, or I need help here, or I've run out of money, or I just need some help. And we need to tell each other so that we can help each other in the right ways. And this will enable each other to, to love one another practically. So first of all, we need to love each other selflessly. Second of all, love each other practically. Thirdly, I think we need to love each other openly. Covenants are public, visible things. The marriage service is necessarily open to anyone. It's not, it's not a private thing. Anyone can go to any marriage service. And God's love for us is visible and public. It's not a secret, it's displayed. God is a God who communicates his love. Most obviously on the public display of love on the cross, in a public place. And Jonathan loves David publicly and visibly and openly. He gives him his robe and weapons so that everyone could see, look, Jonathan loves David. He stands up for him in public. There can be no doubt that Jonathan loves David. I think it's easy for us to take our friends for granted. But I also think it's easy for us to feel gratitude and admiration for our friends, but to never to tell them. But God is a God who communicates his love for us. And we need to love each other openly, making sure our friends know how much they mean to us. And it's always meant so much to me getting letters out the blue from friends. And when they take the chance of a birthday card or a Christmas card just to say something really nice. I remember having a bad day in my first year at university. And out of the blue, my best friend, who I hadn't heard of for a couple of weeks, just sent me a text saying, I love you, buddy. And that was it. And it just cheered me up. And it was really kind. And at the end of chapter 20, actually, we find 
quite a lot of affection between David and Jonathan. It's, it's quite emotional. Um, even slightly over the top, they're, they're weeping together. They, they kiss each other. Uh, how, how do we explain this? Actually, C.S. Lewis suggests that it's not the presence of outward affection in David and Jonathan, but the absence of it in our own culture that needs explanation. Outward displays of affection can be useful tools and communicate our love for one another. We don't have to go over the top, <laughs> but it's a way of communicating that we love each other. I actually went up to see my, my best friend. Uh, during this time when I was ill, it was a difficult time, and um, I went up to see him in Leeds. And um, we was, I was staying in his student house, there wasn't much space, and we, um, we actually had to share a bed that night, which I was feeling slightly uncomfortable with, but it was okay. Um, and we chatted a bit, and we prayed together, and then went off to sleep. And his love for me, I think, went so deep, and his compassion and concern for me, because I woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, he was still asleep, but as he slept, he was gently caressing my naked shoulder with his hand. And um, I have to say, um, I didn't respond to this outward show of affection as I might have done, and instead hit him very hard, and then started to create a barrier in between us with cushions and clothes and anything I could find. So, outward affection needs to be thought of carefully, but you don't want to make your friends feel uncomfortable. But I think the important thing is that we're open in our friendships, that we communicate our love, our, our gratitude, our admiration for our friends. So we need to love each other selflessly, practically, openly, and finally, I think we need to love one another endlessly. Covenants are things that are eternal. They last forever. And God loves us with an endless love. He's a God who doesn't give up on us, even when we give up on him. And Jonathan loves David endlessly. He keeps on loving him and helping him again and again, risking more and more each time he does it. Whereas Saul is up and down about David, Sometimes he loves him, the next moment he's trying to kill him. Jonathan is faithful and constant all the way through. And David actually honors this covenant even after Jonathan's death, when he takes one of Jonathan's son, his disabled son, into his household to look after him. And I think perseverance is an essential element in friendship. There will be times where friends will disappoint you, will hurt you, or simply just sort of drift away. In all friendships, there are highs and lows, good periods and bad periods. And it can be tempting, can't it, just to give up, to concentrate on other friends. We live in a kind of a throwaway society. You know, when something stops working very well, you don't try and mend it, you just buy a new one. And it's tempting to do the same with friends, just get a new friend or just concentrate on other friends. But I think healthy friendships require perseverance. And this means there'll be times we need to forgive one another. There'll mean the times we have to confront problems, where you have to say to one another, actually, you hurt me, or I was disappointed that you did this. It means making an effort with one another. 
but I think is worth it. We mustn't give up on one another. We must love each other endlessly. So to have healthy friendships, and we need to love one another selflessly, practically, openly, and endlessly, because this is how God loves us. But I think friendships don't really exist for their own sake only. C.S. Lewis points out that friendships usually form around a common interest or activity, a common purpose. And I think the healthiest friendships recognize that they're part of a bigger picture. I think David and Jonathan saw this in their friendship. It wasn't just for its own sake. They recognized that God had plans for Israel and they wanted their friendship to play its part in it. And I think if we do this, if we ask that our friendships are used for God's glory and for his purposes, they will be immensely powerful. Because friendships actually tend to achieve things. Whether it's mathematics in ancient Greece, the Royal Society, the Romantic Movement in England, the movement for the abolition of slavery, New Labour, the Fellowship of the Ring in Lord of the Rings. These all started with just a group of friends with a common interest, a common goal. And my prayer, I suppose, this morning is that we use our friendships for God's glory with a common interest and common goal to see his name glorified in this city and in this land. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the, the gift of friendship and for the friends that we have. And Father, I pray that you would enable us to love one another in ways that reflect your love for us and your covenant. And that we would love each other selflessly, practically, openly, and endlessly, Lord. And that you would use our friends, our friendships, and all our relationships for your glory. Amen. Shall we stand and sing our offertory hymn, Blessed Assurance? This is an opportunity for people to give to the work of the church. Um, please feel no pressure to give, especially if you're a visitor. Just pass the bag along without embarrassment.
please stay standing for our prayer of thanksgiving.